Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Good morning and welcome to this service of morning prayer online. This ancient prayer service of the Anglican tradition is an opportunity for us to join together, though we are apart. Though we are not physically present to worship together, St. Paul reminds us that we can be together in spirit, and certainly together gathering around in worship before Almighty God. I'm going to remind our congregation that there's an opportunity in this season, though we are not meeting face-to-face, to continue to give our tithes and offerings. If you are not already set up to give online, you can do so today by going on to ChristChurchPlano.org slash give and set up your online giving. And of course, you can always call the church office and we'll be happy to help you set up your tithes and offerings to continue to support this work of ministry during these difficult times. And as well, we encourage you to reach out to us. We will be reaching out to you as well. Share your prayer requests. Let us know how we can be caring for you in prayer in this season. Because we know that though this is a difficult season, as our sermon text will show us today, that Jesus is greater than any storm that can come upon his church. Let us continue to offer prayer to Almighty God as we pray together the collect for purity. Saying together, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now I invite you to join as we sing together our hymn of praise.
Dearly beloved, the scriptures teach us to acknowledge our many sins and offenses, not concealing them from our Heavenly Father, but confessing them with a humble and obedient heart that we may obtain forgiveness of his infinite goodness and mercy. We ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before Almighty God, but especially when we come together in his presence to give thanks for his great benefits we've received at his hands, to declare his most worthy praise, to hear his most holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things which are necessary for our life and for our salvation. Therefore, draw near with me to the throne of heavenly grace. Praying together, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and apart from your grace there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Hear these words of absolution. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, desires not the death of sinners, but they may turn from their wickedness and live. He has empowered and commanded his ministers to pronounce to his people being penitent the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardons and absolves all who truly repent and genuinely believe his holy gospel. For this reason, we beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that our present deeds may please him, that the rest of our lives may be pure and holy, and that at the last we may come to his eternal joy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Please join me in reading Psalm 23. We will read responsively by half verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. first lesson is from the first letter of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand and join us in our gradual.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And there were other boats with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the vessel, so the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you still so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The gospel of the Lord Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Mark to record these words of Scripture. And we believe these words not only had power in the day that Mark wrote them, but that these words have power this day. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit and open these words for us now, perhaps as never before that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ, more and more to be able to sleep during storms. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it ironic that just two weeks ago from this pulpit, I shared the story of what my homiletics professor used to tell us about what to do if you showed up at church as a preacher and no one else showed up. And of course, I said in that context, his advice was you preach your sermon because at least the devil will hear it and shudder. Well, here we are on Sunday morning, the fourth Sunday of Lent, and this preacher has no one in the pews. And yet, here we are with worship continuing. God be praised that his word goes out despite this crisis. I want to learn to sleep during storms. I want this text, this amazing gospel story of Jesus sleeping in the storm to impact my life right now. Because if I'm honest, ever since this crisis has begun, I've actually not been sleeping very well. I've been held with a sense of anxiety, with concerns about my family, my loved one, my parishioners. And this stress, this concern about this crisis will eat at us. And perhaps you're not even aware how much this crisis is eating at you internally. It was just a few days ago that I received a piece of news in email from a fellow priest, not one of ours, someone in the broader church. And my response was to send this terrible, nasty gram back in response. And it, it was sent, and I pre pressed enter before I'd even taken time to think about what I had been writing. And of course, 
the ingloriousness of it was that not only was I sending this nasty gram to another priest, but the archbishop of the province was on the email thread as well. And he wrote me a nice pastoral word back saying, Paul, perhaps you need a little bit more grace in this. And of course, I apologized and said, I, I'm realizing how much this whole crisis is really eating at me. And I'm sure it's eating at you as well. See, this story of Jesus sleeping in the stern of the boat during a storm is an incredible picture for us, the church, in the midst of any storm that we can face. We need to hear this story on this fourth Sunday of Lent. In verse 37 of our text, if you turn there with me in your Bibles, Mark chapter 4, verse 37, we need to realize that the disciples here are in real trouble. This is not just some small sea storm. This is urgent. This is deadly. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. As, as Tom Wright, Bishop Tom Wright says of these quick storms that can arise within the Sea of Galilee. He says, it isn't just boats that are in danger in the Sea of Galilee. To this day, the car parks on the western shore have signs warning drivers what happens in high winds. The sea can get very rough very quickly and big waves can swamp cars parked on what looked like a safe beach. A boat on the lake suddenly gets tossed around like a child's toy. This story points to all the different kinds of storms we can face. Because we need to realize that within the ancient Near East, the sea represented all the forces of chaos, all the forces that were threatening to undo us. And so in this moment that this sea storm arises, it represents for each of us all those different kinds of storms that could be coming at us. Storms in our families, storms with our finances, storms with health, and storms in this very world of ours now in the midst of this coronavirus epidemic. These storms are real and they're dangerous. But look at Jesus' posture, verse 38. In verse 38, we're told that he's in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And this is a posture of trust. Jesus is modeling for his disciples and modeling for us a picture of what it looks like to faithfully trust the Father, even in the midst of very real storms. I want to learn to sleep during this storm. And therefore, I need to hear this gospel story. In this story, in this storm story, we see this. That in the midst of the storm, Jesus is present. That's the first thing we see, that Jesus is here with us in the context of this storm. But also, not only is Jesus present, but Jesus is powerful. Jesus brings his full power to be brought to bear into this storm. And finally, not only is Jesus present and not only is Jesus powerful, but Jesus is in this very storm that we're facing, pointing to an even greater storm that he has conquered. See, first we find that in this storm, Jesus is present. Verse 38 
The disciples ask this of him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That word perishing in the Greek is the word apolomai. It means destruction. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, it's the same word to describe the general of the armies of hell that come out at the end times. Apollomai, Apollyon, destruction. Master, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's that honest question before God that we so often will make. In the midst of this storm, do you care? Do you even see what's going on? I remember talking to my parents just a few days ago. And my, my father and my mother in their 70s are saying that this idea of sheltering, hunkering down, you know, barely going out at all. They said this is unprecedented in their lifetime. It's really scary. It seems like it's the end. It seems like everything is falling apart. We think of Psalm 44, this honesty in the Psalter. I love how honest the Psalms can be. Honestly laying our prayers out to God. We don't need to edit our prayers and, and, and carefully construct what we're going to say to our Father before we speak these words. But the Psalter, the, the prayer book, the song book of Israel shows us that we can be raw and real with our Father and lay out our prayer concerns before him. Psalm 44, verse 23. I love this. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Now, the truth, of course, is the truth of Psalm 121, that he who watches over Israel does not slumber nor sleep. But in our moments of destruction, in our storms, we can feel as if God is absent. God is not present. Do you not care that we are perishing? But here's what we need to hear first in this storm story is that Jesus is present. And he does care that his disciples are in the midst of this storm. If you can hear it this morning, hear this word of the gospel that in verse 35, we're told that it was Jesus' idea to get in the boat in the first place. On that day, verse 35 says, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. It was Jesus' idea to get in the boat. Jesus was the one that had put them in this situation and if you can hear it today, what this means is wherever you are, wherever I am in this various moment, even with storms coming around us, Jesus has called us into this very moment. I, I know we struggle at times like this with the question of the sovereignty of God. How can we believe that God is sovereign and somehow calling this moment into being? But do you know what's even more terrifying than grappling with the question of the sovereignty of God in a storm. What's even more terrifying is beginning to believe that God is not aware of the storm and that God is not aware of this situation and that it's out of his control. See, what we find again and again in the scripture is this reminder that God is sovereign and omniscient and omnipresent. 
And he promises us, Jesus promises us that he's with us in the boat. I love that verse 36 includes the fact that they took him with them in the boat just as he was. He's right there with them in the midst of this storm. Jesus' words of promise to us just before his ascension, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Oh, how we cling to these words. Jesus is present in this moment. Jesus is present in the storm. But not just present in this storm. What this story tells us is that Jesus is powerful. It's, it's, it's not enough just to say, oh, I'm glad that God is with me in this. But is he going to bring his power to bear in this moment? Verse 39, these amazing words. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. The word rebuke here, he rebuked the wind, is a reprimand. It's what you would say to a dog. Jesus treats this, the wind, this, 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 this greater element, as something he can reprimand. Be rebuked. And said to the, the sea, peace be still. It literally means he said to the sea, hush, be muzzled. Be muzzled is what that word means. Be muzzled. He says to the sea, like a wild beast, after reprimanding it, I'm going to put a muzzle on you. These words would be unthinkable if they came out of anyone, other, anyone else's mouth other than Jesus. But the amazing thing is they actually respond. The wind and the sea obey him. Verse 40, there was a ceasing of the wind and a great calm. But of course, in that moment, when Jesus' power is brought to bear, it's not as if all of a sudden all the fear just leaves the disciples. No, in fact, in verse 41, all of a sudden the fear piles in to that moment. Verse 41 says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. I imagine if we could see that little boat, you've got Jesus in the stern, and all of a sudden all the disciples get as far away from Jesus as possible in that little boat. The boat's severely going to list. I remember when I was traveling uh, back and forth on Vancouver Island on Canada's west coast in British Columbia when I was a seminarian. I would take the ferry back and forth between the mainland and the island, Victoria, where we were living. And I, I would take classes and go back and forth. And I would be on the boat again and again in a beautiful, I mean, all the coastal mountains and the waters. And what would often happen in that region is you would get orca whales and whole pods of orca whales going through that Juan de Fuca Strait. And especially in the spring and the summer, you would hear over the loudspeaker on the ferry that there's an orca, orca whale pod on the port side of the vessel, say. And so the minute that was announced, you'd see everybody, except the regular, the locals, we'd seen orca whales again and again. And we'd just stay in our seats, but everybody else on the vessel, this gigantic ferry, this 20-ton ferry, everyone would move to the port side of the ship. And despite the fact that it was 20 tons, this massive ship, you would feel the whole ship list to the port side. 
as every single person was there looking for the whales. I, I imagine that same kind of moment in this little boat. The disciples huddled as far from their teacher as possible in this moment, terrified, asking those words in verse 41, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the power that Jesus brings into the midst of our storms. This is the strength and power that he brings to bear. We so often can forget that Jesus is present in our storms, but even when we remember he's present, do we remember his power? And do we call upon him in our storms to bring about that power? I remember my very first parish when I was way in the north of Canada and I was having my very first pastoral meeting. Uh, I was meeting with my treasurer and it, was, it seemed like a good thing to do. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a brand new rector of a church, better uh, open up the books and talk to the treasurer about how things are going. And so we, we met and we walked through the books and I, I was brand new, I think I was 25 years of age. And at the end of the meeting, I said to the treasurer, I said, um, how can I pray for you? And, and, and I could tell she had a bit of a, a hesitation. And I said, no, like really anything. Like if, what, what, what would be the top box prayer need in your life? And she, she, she breathed and she took a moment. And then she said, well, if you really want to know, my daughter has been estranged for me for five years. Uh, she ran into this, this, this young man who was, uh, you know, a bad piece of work and uh, he sort of pulled her away from the whole family and, and I have not spoken to her in five years. She will not return my phone calls. I don't even know where she is. I thought, man, that's a prayer request. And of course, I was brand new, so there was, there was no sense in me saying, well, I better be careful how I pray this. We just prayed with great strength and faith and said, Lord Jesus, we believe you have power in this moment. And I pray, Lord, that you would do with your mighty power this week such a, such a work that you would bring this girl home. And she walked out of the office and I began to wonder, maybe I prayed a bit too boldly. Like maybe this was a bit of pastoral malpractice. Was I giving her hope for something that wasn't going to happen? And friends, that Sunday morning as I greeted with people walking up the stairs to come to church on my very first Sunday, up walked that treasure with this young woman. And she introduced me to her daughter and said, I don't know how it happened, but my daughter came home this week. These are not always the way these stories come to an end. And yet again and again, the church needs to be reminded of the power of the one who is in our vessel with us in the midst of this storm. Jesus comes with his power to bear against these storms. This is why elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus walks on the water as a demonstration that he is the one, as the psalmist says, that can walk through and over this stormy chaos of the seas. But finally, in this story, how do we learn to sleep during storms? Not only do we remember that Jesus is present in our storm, not only do we remember that Jesus is powerful in bringing that power to be brought to bear in our storm, but to remember that in every storm we're facing, even this storm, this coronavirus that our world is facing, 
That in every storm that Jesus is ultimately using that storm to point us to a greater storm, the greater storm that he has conquered for us. You see, in verse 40, Jesus asks these words to the disciples, have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? After all you've seen, is it still not enough for you to believe in my power and my strength and my goodness in storms? And you know what the actual answer to that question is? No, Jesus, they still, they haven't seen enough. They have not yet seen enough to fully put their trust in you in the midst of the worst storms. They have yet something they need to see. They need to see you, Jesus, walk through Holy Week. And when they see that, when they see you conquer that storm of sin and death, then, then they will have seen enough to believe and trust in you in the midst of their storms. See, they need to see Jesus face the greatest storm of all. They need to watch their Lord go to Gethsemane and sweat drops of sweat like blood. They need to see his arrest and his flogging and his crucifixion and his death. And just to be clear, it's not just the death that they're watching him face that is the storm. They're watching Jesus, as they will understand in time, face death with the entire burden of sin on his shoulders. Jesus is not just facing death, but as he lays there, as he hangs from the cross, crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bears all the sins of the world, the storm he is facing is facing down hell and damnation in our place. And this is why, as he faces that storm, just at the end, that final word he speaks, it is finished. He speaks a word of finality over this ultimate storm of sin and death and condemnation that he faces for us. And the church will come to understand because Jesus has faced this storm on our behalf, that he has lived the life we should have lived. He has died the death we should have died. We will understand as the church in the words of Romans 8, verse 31, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not with him give us all things? This is how the church comes to believe in the midst of storms. This is how the church learns to sleep in the midst of the storms we face, knowing not only that Jesus is present and that Jesus is powerful, but that Jesus has conquered the greatest storm for us that could ever come upon us. Every storm we face is pointing to that greater storm of sin and death that he conquers on Good Friday and Easter morning. But let's be clear. This doesn't mean 
that we're invincible as Christians. It doesn't mean that everything's simply going to work out fine. But it means that God is with us, has not abandoned us, and has saved us from what ultimately will destroy us. I love could ultimately destroy us, will not ultimately now destroy us in the gospel. I love how J.C. Ryle, the 19th century evangelical preacher, writes this about Christians facing storms. I think we could all hear these words today in the midst of this crisis. He says, Christ's service does not exempt his servants from storms. Here were the 12 disciples on the path of duty. They were obediently following Jesus. They were daily attending on his ministry and listening to his word. They believed in Jesus. They loved Jesus. They were not ashamed to give up everything for Jesus' sake. Yet here we see these men in trouble, tossed up and down by a tempest and in danger of being drowned. As Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. I want to sleep during this storm. Therefore, I need to hear this gospel in this storm story. The good news of God that in the midst of this storm, Jesus is present, that Jesus is powerful, and Jesus is always pointing to that greater storm that he's conquered for you and me. And here's the thing. Disciples can actually learn to sleep during storms. Disciples who can't sleep during storms can, in fact, learn to sleep during storms. Just look at Peter. I, I close with this picture of Peter. Peter, who was there in the boat with Jesus, terrified, calling out, do you not care that we're perishing? Many years later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, there's Peter in prison in Acts chapter 12. Peter's about to be put to death for his faith in Jesus. And here's what Acts 12 says about this transformed disciple. Acts chapter 12, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring Peter out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping in the prison between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared next to him, and the light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Now, what I love about that is that there's Peter the night before his execution and he's sound asleep. So much so that when the angel appears, it says, with all that bright angelic light showing up in the cell, what does he find? Peter still snoring on the floor. And the disciple needs, the disciple needs to be struck by the angel to wake him up because he's that much a sound asleep. Peter has learned to sleep 
in the face of a storm because he watched his Lord and Savior calm the ultimate storm in his death and resurrection. Friends, for you and I, this is where we will find our rest. Jesus is present with us in the midst of this. Jesus is powerful. Call upon that power. But remember, he's proven to us already as he points us to that greater storm that he has already calmed the greatest storm we will face. In those words of Horatio Spafford, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me as we reaffirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I invite you now to adopt a posture of prayer as we are led in these prayers together. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, show your mercy upon us and grant us your salvation. O Lord, guide those who govern us and lead us in the way of justice and truth. Clothe your ministers with righteousness and let your people sing with joy. 
O Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord, and defend us by your mighty power. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And a call it for peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries through the might of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us by your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor run into any danger and that guided by your Spirit we may do what is righteous in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, before the general thanksgiving, I invite you to take a moment before God to count your blessings, to count your thanksgivings. For in seasons like this, it is so easy for us to enumerate all the things that are wrong and yet forget to take time to enumerate our thanksgivings before God, to take that moment daily to ask how God is blessing us and our loved ones and our communities this day. I invite you to pray with me this general thanksgiving, one of the most beautiful prayers within our prayer book tradition. Praying together. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. And now we pray together the prayer of St. Chrysostom. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you've promised through your well-beloved Son 
that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. As we conclude now our morning prayer service and move into the rest of this week, receive this word of blessing. And I look forward to you joining us with our daily evening prayer podcasts and joining us again next Sunday. Be reaching out to us and be reaching out to one another. Let us continue to find ways to stay connected during this time of separation. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us go out into this week singing together our final hymn.